What's up, guys? This is Jim. Welcome to another edition of the Holmes Politicast. Uh, of course, oh, the big news is the presidential election, which just passed a week or so ago. Um, we didn't do a show last week because I, I just wasn't ready yet with the – it took so long for the returns to come in, and I kept thinking that they might come in this day, and I didn't want to post something and then have it be outdated within you know 20 minutes and – Turned out it wasn't called till Saturday, so I could have actually updated the show on Tuesday or Wednesday, but <clears throat> I I took a risk and failed, so I'll go ahead and do the show now. Um, <clears throat> as you all know, uh, the election is, for all intents and purposes, over. Uh, there are still, there might be some recounts being done, but, and... The president has threatened some lawsuits, but they, so far they haven't had any standing. The, the courts have thrown them out. So I don't know. I don't think that'll go anywhere, and I don't think the recounts are really going to make any difference. Um, like the recount in Georgia, Biden doesn't need Georgia to win, you know, even if, even if they realize that Trump won Georgia and there was voter fraud. Well, you could take that out of the equation, and Biden still wins, so – it really isn't going to change the impact of the election. Biden is, as of right now, Biden is leading in Nevada and in Arizona too. Um, it looks like those are going to be official this week. So, <clears throat> anyway, uh, and it, it just—it it seems as if there was a slight repudiation of Trump. I mean, I don't think that can be denied. He—he he lost both the popular vote and the electoral vote. But uh, it was not a bad night for Republicans, though. It seemed as if, and why I say it's a repudiation of Trump is because people by and large said we don't have a problem with the Republicans or the Repub their policies. We just don't like the man at the top of the ticket for whatever reason. Uh, because the down tickets did really well. Even here in Michigan, John James did not win, but he came – he did much better in Michigan than Donald Trump did. And – Almost won. I mean, he, he just it was just a slither that he lost by. Uh, I have heard that he has questions about some of the votes. I would tend to possibly agree with him on that um, in Detroit. I, I think that there is a possibility that he may have a path of proving some disenfranchisement of his voters. I think that's a race that he could have won, uh, and he may have. So we'll see what happens with that one. But even if we take it at face value, uh, John James just barely lost. I, I just saw something from the Michigan Democrats claiming that now that Gary Peters has been decisively reelected and all this, we need to move forward, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's just nonsense. Gary Peters was not decisively reelected. He just – if it's true, he just inched by by the skin of his teeth. I mean he's not – there was no mandate for him. Uh, so anyway, my point is that uh, on the down ticket, Republicans did very well. They gained seats in the House, which is amazing, um, and they retained the Senate. Even if these Georgia races, there's two runoffs in Georgia that are going to be decided in December. Even if those both go Democrat, which I personally believe is very unlikely – it would put 
the Senate at a 50-50 tie, which true isn't an outright majority for the Republicans, but it's enough that they would have to build a coalition to get anything passed through the Senate, which means gun control is dead, uh, defund the police is dead, packing the Supreme Court is dead, abortion legislation is dead. Uh, all of these very extreme progressive policies that Biden campaigned on, or, or maybe not just Biden, but Harris and, and maybe that Bernie Sanders is hoping for or something like that, these things aren't going to happen because in order to get things passed, you have to work with the Senate. And the Senate is not going to uh, allow real far left legislation. Plus, if there's any vacancies on the Supreme Court in the next four years, whether uh, retirement or death, they won't be able to put on a progressive activist judge because the Republicans in the Senate have to, or the Senate, I should say, has to confirm. And if they don't have a supermajority, uh, then there's no way that they're going to be able to work with enough Republicans to get a far left um, judge on, on uh, or just uh, potential justice. So you'll end up with very much more mo moderate and um, slightly conservative judges. They might be cons they might be moderate left, uh, you know, just like just a slight to the left, but pretty moderate. Um, which is okay. I mean, you know, that's the prerogative. They're going to have a leftist judge, but it'll be just, but they'll be so moderate that it really won't make a difference on the court. So, uh, so it was definitely a repudiation of Trump alone. It wasn't a repudiation of uh, conservative policies. It wasn't a repudiation of even Trump's policies. It was a repudiation just of, for whatever reason, that they just didn't like him. They didn't like his tweets. They didn't like his tone. They didn't, you know, whatever it is. Uh, they they just chose to replace him, but they gained Republicans gained um, in the in the House and and kept. Uh, I mean, I really thought it was going to be a bloodbath for the for the Republicans in the Senate. I had predicted that because they had five five that I know of seats that were so vulnerable. The Republicans did. You had Joni Ernst in Iowa. You had. Susan Collins in Maine, Tom Tillis in North Carolina. You had uh, Cory Gardner in uh, Colorado, Martha McSally in Arizona, Steve Daines in Montana. Um, I think that's five or six right there I just listed, and they only needed three to get full control of the Senate. And in the Kansas race, it was neck to neck in the polls. And uh, it was, it, you know, so... Um, there was real doubt as to whether it was an open seat. And so there was real doubt as to whether the Republicans would be able to retain that seat. And except for uh, Cory Gardner in Colorado and Martha McSally in, um, in uh, Arizona, the Republicans were able to keep every one of those seats by a sizable margin. Um, you know, so, and, and like in Susan Collins case, the, the, the state voted for Joe Biden, but they reelected the Republican senator, um, which just shows that it was a repudiation of Trump. They didn't want Trump, but they uh, but they wanted to retain their Republican majority in the Senate. You know, they liked the Republican senator 
So um, it was really a repudiation, like I said, slightly of Trump, but mostly of the Democratic policies. The, the defund the police and the court packing things, I believe, killed the momentum that the Democrats had. I really do. I, I think that is what hurt them the most. You know, and this is the thing that the Democrats tend to do. They tend to shoot themselves in the foot, which I'm not complaining about because I don't like a lot of their policies. But but it is something that if you watch politics for a while, you will see that, you know, to use a sports analogy, you know, they fumble on the, you know, they fumble with the ball. Uh, you know, they, they, they're on track to have a touchdown and they fumble at the last minute. And that is how the Democrats seem to be. They get too prideful. They looked like they were going to win this race. All the polls were showing it was going to be a Democratic blue wave, a landslide. And so they started talking about all the great things they were going to do, defund the police. They were going to – the Green New Deal. They were going to pass abortion legislation, codify it into law so that the national law – or the, it, it is federal law that abortions are legal instead of just a Supreme Court ruling. They were you know, going to pack the court. They were going to do all these things, and it scared people, and people said, no way. We may want to get rid of Trump, but there is no way we're going to let the Democrats have control over anything else. Um, you know, uh, you know, we're going to keep a we're, – we're going to keep uh, – you know, we're going to protect the country from Biden and the Democrats. So um, it was uh, – overall, it was a good night for Republicans. Um you know, it's a little sad to lose the White House. There's a moral, uh, you know, there's a, it's a moral victory that's lost, a morale victory. You, you know, you, you hate to lose anything, but Republicans can hold their head up high. I mean, yeah, you did lose the White House, but, but, you know, uh, presidents they have a lot of influence and they have the bully pulpit, as they say. But presidents don't have a tremendous amount of power, as uh, every president, including Donald Trump, has seen that they have to work with the Congress in order to get things done. And so, uh, yeah, it's tough to lose, but it's not, it's not, not all is lost. Our country is not in decline or in despair. I mean, and I believe in two years, the Republicans will have a resurgence and take the Senate. If it's, if it's 50, 50, uh, they'll take the Senate outright and they may win back the house. And then we'll see what happens in four years. We'll have another chance at the White House. And uh, uh, I don't – I really don't think Donald Trump would run again. I really don't believe that will happen. But if he did, I, I don't see them giving him the nomination because a lot of Republicans really didn't like Trump personally. They may have agreed with some of his things. So I don't see them handing him back. The White House, I think they'd say it's time to move on. Let's let's pick somebody new, fresh, you know, um, start over again. So I think they have a very good shot of winning in four years. Uh, and honestly, just following politics and and having, I mean, seriously, Joe Biden has been in office since before I was born. Honestly, so I've known about Joe Biden since I was old enough to remember. Uh, anything about politics, uh, he's going to be a disaster. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. And so the, the country is not going, he's not going to win. If he was to run for reelection, which would be, which would be insane. 
uh, the he's not going to have the country's not going to be better off in four years than it is today. So he's not he wouldn't run re-election. He probably won't. So it will more than likely be Kamala Harris. But she's insanely unpopular too. Uh, it's hard to say in four years if she would be able to win. But I think it's highly doubtful unless unless the Democrats, you know. I mean, unless the Republicans ran Kanye West or something, um, I think it's pretty assured that the Republican is going to win in four years. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, they would have to really scrape the bottom of the barrel in order to lose. So, you know, take heart. Uh, it's it's hard to lose, you know, even one race, but it's going to be okay. It'll be okay. Uh, um. Some of the things I wanted to talk about, well, that's the main thing. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. And I might go back to that again in a minute. But we have um, MLive is, did an interview with uh, Governor Whitmer. And I apologize. I should have had this already up instead of bringing it up now. But this was posted on November 8th. And uh, it's by Samuel Dodge of MLive. And it says, Governor Whitmer was at one point a top name being considered to run as Joe Biden's running mate. She asked, she asked to be withdrawn from consideration. After the former vice president became president-elect this weekend, the, the question arose. Um, hold on a second. I'm sorry. It, brought up this ad that I don't know how to get rid of. Anyway, um, I'm just, I'll just summarize it for you. Um, that Whitmer says she has no intention of leaving if Biden offers her a cabinet role. Now, there's been no evidence yet that I've heard of that Biden is considering her for a cabinet post, but there is, uh, we've kind of gone, you know, there, there was a time in American history when uh, we had the spoils system, what they call the spoil system. And it comes from an old proverb uh, that says, to the victor goes the spoils. And that's where the, the term came from, where if you won the presidential race particularly, that you would fill all of your government positions, cabinet positions, judgeships, um, civil service jobs with uh, friends, with people who helped with the campaign, you would reward them with, uh, with jobs. And they, in the late 1800s, they passed some civil service reform to get rid of that, to say it had to be more of a mere, um, Merit, uh, I don't know the word meritocracy. Anyway, it's like a merit system, merit-based, based on like your your previous experience and things like that. Meritocracy, I think is what it's called. Uh, merit, yeah. And so, but we've really gone back to a lot of the spoil system today. And I would have trouble believing that Biden would not offer her a cabinet position because she was 
head of his campaign in Michigan, and he won Michigan. Whether she had anything to do with that or not is irrelevant. She, he won Michigan. She was in charge of the campaign in Michigan. So I would have no doubt that he would offer her some kind of a position, some kind of a job in, in return. That is just how politics works. It shouldn't work that way. But that is, but we have returned to the spoil system. And I, I don't believe what she's saying here. Uh, I know that's crazy to think that the governor might not be telling the truth, but she says, I have no intention on leaving if, if, if offered a Biden cabinet role. Um, I don't think that's true. She may not end up taking it, but she would consider it. Anybody would consider it. I mean, you know, I have no interest in working in Biden's cabinet, but hey, if out of the blue, for some odd reason, by Joe Biden called me and said, hey, I'd like you to work in my administration. I would definitely think about it. Uh, I don't like Joe Biden. I'm not a big fan of Joe Biden. Uh, I don't really want him to succeed. I mean, I want America to succeed, but I don't want him personally to succeed. But uh, I would definitely think about it. I mean, that's a nice, it's a nice job. It's a nice feather in my cap. I'd get paid well. Um, I could use that as a platform to run for a higher office. I would definitely think about it. Uh, at the end of the day, I might not take it, but I would definitely consider it. So she's the same way. She has ambitions for higher office. This would be good. She has now governor's experience, and if she got to work in the administration in some manner, she would have some some federal experience, and it would make it easier for her to run uh, either for the Senate or or possibly for president one day. She would definitely consider it. And honestly, uh, uh, this is just my personal opinion, but she would be a fool not to take it because I think in 2022, just two years from now, she's going to be running for re-election. And I think she's going to have a really tough re-election, especially now if Biden's the president. Um, and if it turns out that we don't have a vaccine, then the state will go back into lockdown. People will be upset and they're going to blame her. And when she goes to run for re-election, she's going to have a hard time. She's actually already going to have a hard time explaining her unconstitutional orders and you know, had to be reprimanded by the Supreme Court, the Michigan Supreme Court. So my personal opinion is that she would be a fool not to take it, leave, go there, and not be humiliated at the polls. That is my personal opinion. And I think that she probably would take it um, because she's gotten herself into a mess as they say, she's poisoned the well with the legislature. Uh, I don't think they can work together. They just don't trust each other. The Republicans in the legislature don't trust her. They don't like her particularly. She hasn't been effective. She hasn't accomplished anything. Honestly, she hasn't uh, passed any legislation that I'm aware of. Um, you know, uh, she didn't fix the roads. She didn't get Flint water. Um, I assume Manny is still out there fixing the potholes by himself because nobody else is doing it. Um, you know, so 
if I was her, I would definitely consider jumping ship, joining the Biden boat. Um, and, uh, you know, getting, getting out of Dodge here, you know? So I, I, I think it'll be offered to her. Uh, the only reason it might not be is if he, if he offers her something like, you know, something really small, like department of veterans affairs or something, she might be like, eh, I'm not going to quit being governor just to head up some small department, you know, that really is. Oh, I don't want to say meaningless because I mean it's important, but but it's not a high profile job, you know, like Secretary of State or the Treasury or, you know, something like that. You know, she might say I don't want to quit just to, just to head up some small agency. Um. Uh. So, but I I, I think she's going to be offered something. Um. But yeah. Uh. Well, tell me what you think. I'd be curious as to what you think here and. Uh, if you think that she's going to be offered a position and whether or not she would take it, you know, she says she won't, but you know, you never know. And speaking of the vaccine, uh, uh, Wood TV eight is, has a headline here that says Pfizer says COVID-19 vaccine is looking 90% effective. Well, this is interesting. Um, uh, for a number of reasons. I mean, that would be awesome because I am not alone in saying that I am tired, tired of this coronavirus. I'm tired of the lockdowns. I'm tired of the masks. I'm tired of all of it. Um, so that'd be great news. I do find it, and I'm not trying to start some conspiracy theory, but it is interesting that just a couple of days after the network's call, the race for Biden, suddenly there's a vaccine available. It's a little, timing is a little strange. Why didn't they announce that they were, you know, like it seems like they would have said something over the past month that they're working on a vaccine and they're really close to having one done in the next month or something seems like they would have said something instead of keeping it entirely secret. And then, you know, ah, surprise, we've got what we think is going to be a vaccine. But I don't know. We don't know. I don't want to start any anything. It seems odd is all I'm saying. And maybe over time we'll realize that it wasn't odd. Maybe they did make announcements and the press just didn't talk about it. Or maybe, you know, or maybe they purposely – we're waiting until they got results back, you know, and it didn't come back until after the election. It just happened to come out and they announced it as soon as they could. But anyway, Pfizer said Monday that an early peek at the data on its coronavirus vaccine suggests the shots may be a robust 90% effective at preventing COVID-19, putting the company on track to apply later this month for emergency use approval from the Food and Drug Administration. The announcement, less than a week after a presidential election that was seen as a referendum on President Donald Trump's handling of the crisis, was a rare and major piece of encouraging news lately in the battle against the scourge that has killed more than 1.2 million people worldwide, including almost a quarter million in the U.S. alone. 
pharmaceutical companies in various countries are in a global race to develop a vaccine against the virus. We're in a position, potentially, to be able to offer some hope, Dr. Bill Gruber, Pfizer's Senior Vice President of Clinical Development, told the Associated Press. We're very encouraged. Monday's announcement doesn't mean a vaccine is imminent. This interim analysis from an independent data monitoring board looked at 94 infections recorded so far in a study that has enrolled nearly 44,000 people in the U.S. and five other countries. Some participants got the vaccine while others got dummy shots. Pfizer Inc. did not provide any more details about those infections and cautioned that the initial protection rate might change by the time the study ends. Authorities have stressed it's unlikely any vaccine will arrive much before the end of the year and initial supplies will be rationed. We need to see the data, but this is extremely promising, said Dr. Jesse Goodman of Georgetown University. He ticked off many questions still to be answered, including how long the vaccine's effects last and whether it protects older people as well as younger ones. Marilyn Addo, head of the Tropical Medicine Unit at UKE Hospital in Hamburg, Germany, said the interim results were an interesting first signal, but questions remain. Global markets, already buoyed by the victory of President-elect Joe Biden, exploded on the news of Pfizer. Major markets in Europe, where infections have soared, were up 5%. In the U.S., Dow futures also rose 5% and were up about 1,400 points just over two hours before the opening bell. Trump, who had suggested during the presidential campaign that a vaccine could be ready by Election Day, tweeted on Monday, stock market up big, vaccine coming soon, report 90% effective, such great news. Pfizer chairman and CEO Albert Borla said on CNBC that the election was always an artificial deadline and that the data was going to be ready when it was ready. The independent data monitors met on Sunday, analyzing the COVID-19 test results so far and notifying Pfizer. I am very happy, Borla said, but at the same time, sometimes I have tears in my eyes when I realize that this is the end of nine months, day and night work of so many people and how many people, billions, invested hopes in this. He added, I never thought it would be 90%. Earlier this year, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the government's top infectious disease expert, said he would be happy with the COVID-19 vaccine that was 60% effective. Scientists have warned for months that any COVID-19 shot may be only as good as flu vaccines, which are about 50% effective and require yearly shots. The coronavirus shots made by Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech are among 10 possible vaccine candidates in late stage testing around the world. Four of them so far in huge studies in the US. Another US company, Moderna, Incorporated 
also has said it hopes to be able to file an application with the FDA later this month. Volunteers in the final stage studies and the researchers don't know who received the real vaccine or a dummy shot. But a week after their second required dose, Pfizer's study began counting the number who developed COVID-19 symptoms and were confirmed to have the coronavirus. Because the study hasn't ended, Gruber couldn't say how many in each group had infections. But the math suggests that almost all the infections counted so far had to have occurred in people who got the dummy shots. So anyway, there's, you know, it runs on a little bit more, but um, uh, it sounds uh, encouraging. So that's good. Glad to hear that. Wonderful. Um. And that was that was another thing that uh you know when I was talking about the election results here in Michigan, uh, that uh, the Michigan legislature remains uh, overwhelmingly Republican now. I mean it was already, but it it's even larger, the majority. So yes, it was uh, a good a good night for Republicans. Uh, I'd say ninety ninety five percent good night, you know. You have that 5% of the presidential election, which wasn't great, but, um, but yeah, it was a good night. Um, I am, I, I need a break, uh, from, um, campaign politics, although I will be keeping an eye on the Georgia races. So I don't want to think too much about 2022 and the governor's race yet. But that one is going to uh, be very important um, in the next, uh, you know, two years. Um, it it might get national attention. It certainly will have our attention here. Um, but yeah. So uh, also, I you know I think Donald Trump didn't run a real good campaign, and it's not his fault. He had some bad. He had some bad advice. I thought, um, you know, from that first debate where he was, uh, you know, very argumentative, and then he canceled the second debate. Um, you know, I just think he got some bad advice, and of course, lots of times presidents um, are what you call victims of circumstances, which I think I think Donald Trump was. Uh, you know, in the last hundred years, we've seen it a few times. Herbert Hoover, obviously, uh, he had nothing to do with the Great Depression. It happened on his watch. He had trouble handling it, controlling it, and he was repudiated at the polls. People blamed him for the Depression, even though, like I said, he had nothing to do with it. Uh, Jimmy Carter, also. Uh, you had the Iranian hostage crisis. You had the oil embargoes. You had a number of events that happened outside of his control and he was punished for it at the polls. Um, now these things happen. Uh, you have domestic crises, you have international crises that happen uh, sometimes and there's just nothing you can do about it. You know, and the coronavirus was another one. Now, you know, we could talk about whether or not the media made too big a deal about the coronavirus and hyped it up too much, and that may be legitimate. My point is that 
he was a victim of the circumstances. You know, whether or not the media is to blame, the American people just saw a president that didn't seem to have control over the coronavirus. It seemed like the media was constantly talking about it. It was spreading. It was getting worse. And Trump didn't appear to be in charge. He didn't appear to be a leader. He was just accepting what was happening. And this is this is the eyes of what I'm saying, the electorate. This is how it appeared to a lot of them, whether fairly or unfairly, that he didn't have command over it. He just he just kind of got to a point where he said, we have to live with it. And a lot of people didn't like that. They didn't like seeing a nation in retreat where the president just throws up his hands and say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Um, you know, so he was a victim of circumstance, certainly. You know, the coronavirus kicked his butt uh, uh, politically. It just It just made him look weak. It made him look out of control. He didn't seem to be, you know, he would make pronouncements that this, this, you know, we hope this will be over by Easter. We hope this will be over by July. We'll have the economy roaring by July. Well, you know, this thing is, you know, and just, it seemed like every time he set a, a deadline, the coronavirus didn't follow it. And then you had Dr. Fauci and others going on TV constantly criticizing his handling of it. And, you know, and then of course, People started getting sick around him at the, you know, you had Herman Cain who got sick at one of his rallies and died. You know, you had uh, the Amy Coney Barrett um, reception where a whole bunch of people got sick there, including the president. Um, you know, and then, you know, so it, it just it just seemed like it was out of control and that there, you know, he didn't. And. Um, it just reminded people that he has no control over this and, you know, it just, it just hurt him. It hurt him. Uh, and I think that was the main thing that, and the coronavirus, um, the effect it had on the economy, those things hurt him. He would have won reelection easily had we not had the coronavirus or had the economy not been on lockdown. Um, if the country hadn't gone on lockdown and caused uh, the economy to crater, uh, he would have easily won re-election. And I say that as a man who didn't particularly like President Trump. I agreed with some of the things he was trying to do, but I didn't like him personally. Um, I can easily say he would have won re-election in a, I don't know if a landslide, but he would have won by a large margin had those things not happened. And so, you know, it was, uh, it's unfortunate. And then, of course, on top of that, he got bad campaign advice. He changed campaign, you know, he got rid of Brad Parscale or something in like August or something, uh, maybe September. And then he brought in that Bill Stepien or whatever. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard in the middle of a campaign, a general election campaign, to change campaign managers because they're in charge. They're the ones who are running the campaign. And suddenly now you've got to get a new person in there. They've got to come up to date with the strategy and try to come up with a new strategy. And it's really hard. I mean, so just a lot of forces aligned against him. And of course, as we've talked about before, he also had uh, a media empire that was opposed to him. So 
they weren't going to cut him any slack. I mean, I don't mean to be whiny and, and give an excuse and like it's not fair. I mean, it's politics. Politics is not beanbag, and I, I, I hate how politics runs, but the reality is that politics is one of the dirtiest, sleaziest professions that you can get into because it involves money, it involves power. Um, there's an element of fame involved in being in politics and being around that. It brings out the worst in people. Uh, and and you fight to win. And it can be dirty. And they can lie and cheat and steal. And, uh, you know, and those things aren't looked, aren't frowned on as they would be in any other profession. If you're a good liar, you make a good politician. If you're good at cheating or stealing, you'd make a good campaign manager. You know, um... You know, those are actually good traits. Uh, the better you can lie, the better you are. But, you know, if you can cheat and steal and all that kind of stuff, then that's great. That's what we need for our for our candidates, candidate. Um, it's just unfortunate. And I don't really know how to change that. I don't think there's any law that you can pass to, to change it. Um, it's just unfortunate. And it... It's not right. It's not fair. And there are a lot of good people who lose because they want to run a good, decent, honorable campaign. And it's not a profession that rewards honesty. If you tell the truth, uh, it could backfire on you. And, it, you know, it's, it's – I mean, I, 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 I have a great interest in politics, and I would love – to be in politics if I could do it in a way that I wouldn't have to, um, you know, that I wouldn't have to bend my principles or um, compromise my Christian faith. Uh, I don't know how to do it yet in a way that I, in which I could do that and win. And that's primarily why I haven't run for anything, because I'm not sure how to do it in a manner that could be honest above board and I could still hold my head up high as a Christian and say you know I believe that I did what was right and I wouldn't be ashamed of myself afterward so I don't know it's a, it's a bad it's like a you know I, I hate to say it but it's like a necessary evil we, we have to have uh, you know, we have to have politics if we are going to be uh, if we're going to uh, be a democratic republic you know otherwise we just have a monarchy and they would decide everything, and we would just accept whatever they tell us. In order to be a democratic republic, we have to have politics. We have to have campaigns. We have to have the people involved, you know. And you have to convince people of things, and you have to raise money, and you have to, you know. So it. I don't know of any other way we could do the, do it without getting all the sleaze in there. But anyway, it's just unfortunate because sometimes we lose, and and it's no fault of the person. And it's disappointing when people lose because of lies and other things. So, anyway, uh, it's going to be a crazy four years. But fortunately, the election is over, and I'm hoping that we'll have some real news that we could talk about. I don't know what there's going to be for the rest of the year because, you know, I don't know if I don't think there's going to be a lot of politics this year um, on the Michigan side because you know they're going to have to break up for. Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's and 
you know, so I really don't know if there's going to be any legislation or, you know, anything like that. So the next few weeks until Christmas, you you know, I'm probably going to talk about more cultural things than politics unless unless something big happens on the national level or, or even on the governor's level. But I don't I don't really see much happening. It's going to be pretty quiet on the federal level until uh, until after Thanksgiving. And that's when Biden is expected to announce some of his cabinet picks. It's going to be pretty quiet. <clears throat> and usually happens after campaigns anyway, because everyone's just tired of politics. They're just ready to move on a little bit. And so there's not a lot to happen. So um, I'll try to find something to talk about the next couple of weeks. And uh, but then next year, we'll be able to get back into Michigan politics fully. And uh, hopefully it'll be a lot better year than this year has been. So anyway, <clears throat> I'll talk to you guys soon. Um, have a great day and a great week. Bye, everyone.